If you will, this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 28 through 35. May, just for context sake, we may start reading in verse 25 uh, this morning. But as we begin, as we begin, I wanted to again just say how thankful I am for Brother Trey filling in last week and and, and you praying and singing us to the convention. And so hopefully uh, I will be giving a report on June 17th of our business meeting. I'll, I'll do that that night. And so make plans to be there. Luke chapter 2, verse 28, we'll begin our text. This morning we're going to, to witness something that I think that many of us fathers and, and mothers, parents, experience with a newborn child. That when, when, we have a, when our children come into this life, there is an overwhelming joy. Uh, we, we just lift them up and we are just so thankful that they are here, the blessing that they bring. And, and we can't help but to begin to, to look at our children and begin to think down the road, can't we? And we begin to look at them and we begin to think of what he or she may become, what he or she may accomplish. And so we have these great expectations we think they'll be an astronaut, they'll be a ball player, you know, they'll be a lawyer, a doctor, or something, whatever it may be. They'll follow in the family business, and they'll do this, and they'll do that, and then, and then we get the joy of watching them grow. And so there at the beginning, there were expectations of, of what they may accomplish and become, and then as we watch them grow, we begin to be surprised that maybe they're not going in the directions that we thought, not always bad. Some, some good, some good. I, I, I don't think that my father ever looked at me early on and went, that's going to be a preacher right there, especially not when he was whipping me. But anyways, you know, so, so you have those moments. But as we watch them grow, we become very surprised at who they become, the, the young men and women that they become and the things they begin to accomplish. In our sermon today... Our text is going to give us an individual by the name of Simeon. We've already looked at him. We've looked at Simeon, we looked at Anna, and I'm kind of going to come back here now in 28 and deal with Simeon's song and prophecy that we're going to see. But I want you to, to notice that Simeon is going to give Mary and Joseph some surprising uh, details concerning the future of their son. In our text this morning, we're going to find the, the fifth and final Christmas hymn. You may remember that Dr. Luke, in his chapter, in the first two chapters, that he has been providing us with songs that are an outburst of praise and an outburst of response in Christ who has come into the world. No other gospel has given us this. Luke, in his great detail, gives us individuals and the hymns that they begin to sing, and each one of them an outburst of praise, but also each one of them having different themes concerning different areas of God. For example, we get the glory of God and the faithfulness of God. We get the the joy of God. We get Old Testament promises. We get salvation to the humble. We get mercy to the afflicted and so much more. But in the final song, the song of Simeon, we receive prophetic revelation. Concerning the very things that Jesus is going to bring. We find this morning in the sermon that I've entitled, The Surprising Effects of Jesus' Birth. 
the surprising effects of Jesus' birth, the things that he will, that, that will result because of him. For when Simeon, who is led by the Holy Spirit, enters into the temple, he not only gets to behold Jesus with his own eyes, but Simeon gets to prophesy, according to the Spirit, three surprising things that Jesus will bring into this world. He will bring personal peace. He will bring a global salvation. And beloved, he will also bring a painful division. Let me say that again. He's going to bring a personal peace, a global salvation, and he's going to bring a painful division. If you will, let's just go up to verse 25. It says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, notice now verse 28. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace (coughs) according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts for many hearts may be Revealed. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. If you would, I want you to notice that first thing that we see that Jesus brings. Notice that Simeon says here that he receives a personal peace. Notice again there, verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, notice that Simeon, that what he does is he gives two blessings. And we don't really, the way I'm looking at this, the way that I see it is that he gives his blessing to God and we get the psalm. But then he gives the blessing to Mary and Joseph and then he gives them a warning of which is going to come. And so we don't really get a whole lot of the blessing that he gives to Mary and Joseph. We get more of the warning, which we'll get to in a minute. But here in the blessing of God, this, this word that, that can be translated into eulogy, this speaking well of God, we see here that his, his song is a praise, a personal one. For the peace that he received from God. The words Lord and bondservant kind of give us a a picture of a slave who has been granted freedom. This is not the normal word that we see for Lord in the Greek that we have seen previously. It's only used a few times here. And so this word refers to one who has absolute authority over a slave. Absolute authority over maybe a soldier, like a commander who has authority over a soldier. One who has all of these different things. And so his song starts out with a personal praise for the peace that he has received from his master. And so Simeon here is saying that he is also a bondservant, a slave. And so he begins to to paint this picture that he, a slave, has received a freedom. He has been released from duty from the master. Notice that he says, releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. 
This picture is the freedom that a slave is granted that when his service has come to the end, that the master now removes him from all other responsibility. He is, he, is no, he is now free to go and do as he may. And he's able to do this without any guilt or regret that he did not accomplish all that he had been asked to accomplish. The servant of God is, has been released and found peace in his labor. But not only that, dear beloved, What we find here for Simeon is that this is in reference to his death. For Simeon said earlier that God had told him that he had received revelation that he would be able to see Jesus Christ before he died. This is a reference to the death of Simeon. And he says here that he now may be, he may die in peace. Simeon is ready to die for he has now seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this may not be as prophetic as we'll see in the next two things but this is a personal praise and it is a surprising effect that not only Simeon receives but many who who follow after Christ you see the the book of Acts and and then church history itself tells us of men and women who willingly laid their life down. Men and women who who were martyred, and they did it with great joy and great peace because of the joy of their salvation. The Bible is full of of individuals, of people who who, who were affected by the the, the grace and mercy of God, that they were able to die in this world, and not only just die, but even suffer in this world with peace in their hearts. Which is very interesting, isn't it? Because when one thinks of death, we don't think of peace, right? When one thinks of death, we think of, we think we have these emotions of fear and anxiety and terror and sorrow that, that tend to come. And, and I'm not making light of death because we know that that is true. We know it is the natural consequence of a, of a, of a man or a woman to, to face these things, have these emotions when we face death or even the death of someone else. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, that death is the last enemy. That it is an enemy. That, that it is a consequence of the sins of, of Adam. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And we always want to just focus on that, but never really begin to think of what it's saying. A wage is something that you work for. A wage is something that you earn by your service, by your actions. You go to work, you work hard, you receive your wages, you receive money, you, re- you receive a reward. But the wages of, of disobeying is not a reward, but it's a curse, it's not a blessing. And so we find here the wages of sin is that I will experience or have experienced death. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17, we find the source of all of this. For God told Adam and Eve that they were not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, for in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. You disobey my law, you disobey me, you will face, you will experience the wages of death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. For you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. Dear friends, you and I know the power and the effect and the difficulties and the pain of death. For we are all sinners. We are all children of Adam. And death is not something that we, that we look at and we, we rejoice in apart from Christ. Because we know those who are dead in their, in their sins and trespasses will, are unforgiving and they will spend an eternity in hell. And the Bible refers to this as the second death. 
And for 4,000 years before Simeon, death had reigned as the unconquerable foe. No one could conquer it. There were a few that were taken up. There were some who were, who, who were raised from death to life, but only to experience death again. Even today, we know that death brings fear and it brings terror to our heart. Just think about the last two years of COVID. We really thought that we could handle this. We really thought we were prepared for death. And then we come to find out that we weren't, that it, it shook us to our very core. And yet now we find a man who says to God, I am at peace. I, I can go and die. Where does the peace of Simeon, a surprising reaction when facing death, where does this come from? Notice that he gives us the answer. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Beloved, Simeon is at peace with death because he has found salvation in Christ. He has seen Christ. And understand that when I talk about him seeing Christ, listen, Simeon saw Jesus with his physical eyes after he saw him with his spiritual eyes. Simeon had already come to the saving knowledge of the, of the Messiah. He had already had come to know that his joy and his peace and his salvation in this world would come from the one who was promised to come and break the shackles of sin. You see, unlike the people of his day, Simeon, his hope was in a promised Messiah, not in the law and in good works. It wasn't in power structures and it wasn't in systems and it wasn't in priests and politicians and emperors. Simeon knew where his hope lied. And God gave him the joy of seeing the incarnate Christ, his, the incarnate hope, the promised one. And so here in the temple, his physical eyes finally see what his spiritual eyes have known all along, that this is salvation. Do you hear what he's saying? My idea, my, my salvation, my eyes have seen salvation, not a system, not a not a, not a rule, not a law. My eyes have seen the person who brings salvation. Oh, friend, I must ask you this morning. Have you seen this salvation with your spiritual eyes? Or are you at peace this morning with death? Or do you fear what lies on the other side for you? Do, do, you, do, you, feel, do, you, do you feel the freedom presently? That any day you may be released from your service in this world, and that's okay. It could come today, it could come tomorrow, it could come, it can come years from now, but whatever, whenever the time may come that you are released from service, you are at peace with what may whatever may come. Or are you shackled with fear? Are you shackled with the fear and the doubt? Or are you shackled by the terror and the very, the, very, the very terror of thinking about dying? Or maybe you're shackled by the fear of someone else dying. Because you think that there can be no joy even after that those I love, even if they pass away. Now, please understand, I am not asking this morning that, that you have a death wish. That's, that's not what we're doing here. Nor am I suggesting that death should even be taken lightly. I don't think Simeon did that. 
What I am asking is, is that when your time comes, or that when you are face to face with your death or the death of someone else, are you at peace? Are you at peace? Because, dear friends, this is the very effect that Jesus Christ would bring to this world. And it is the very effect that Jesus has already brought to the, has already brought even before he came, that God gave. We see it and we read it this morning. Randy read it. Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or how about the Apostle Paul? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Dear friends, if you have no peace concerning death, may I point you to the arms of Simeon this morning? Let me point you to the arms of Simeon because there in the arms of Simeon is salvation. And his name is Jesus Christ. Your salvation, many people think that if I, if I do enough good, if I, if I live a good enough life, and I do, if I have enough experiences, and if I, if I plan and prepare for the future for my family, if I do all of these things, then I can die at peace. I can, I can know that I've made all the right decisions, and I can go out of this world knowing everything's okay. If I do this, you're, you're placing your salvation and your hope and your peace and death in yourself. That you make all the right decisions and you do all the right things or, or, or whatever it may be, a system or whatever. Simeon says, no. The peace that comes when we face death comes. And he's there in the arms of Simeon. And his name is Christ who came into this world, who never sinned, who never had to feel the wages of sin. Think about that. The wages of Christ was life. The wages of Christ was, I don't have to die on this cross because I have not sinned. But Christ willingly gives his life to take your wages upon himself that you may know life and life everlasting. Rising from the grave, defeating death, removing the sting of death that it would lose its power And we would no longer have to fear it, dear friends. If you are an unbeliever, may I ask you this morning, may I call you this morning, may I I implore you this morning that you repent of your sins and come to know Jesus Christ. Death no longer has to be your enemy. Death no longer has to have the, the power of fear and terror over you. You may know the peace in midst of suffering and death for you or those that you may lose it may lose to death. You may know this in Christ. And I would call you to come. I would call you to find someone this morning to help you understand this. There are people here who, who you can ask who would help to inform you and show you and point you to Jesus. That you may see him with your spiritual eyes. That you may then one day when you die see him with your physical eyes. If you are a believer this morning and you struggle with death. I suggest two things for you dear friend. One, know the power of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself, the hope of life after death. The hope, the the very thing that takes the sting out of death is the gospel. So you don't have to move away from the gospel. You keep repeating the gospel. You keep believing the gospel. You keep preaching the gospel to yourself. And then secondly, I would say to you, know that the Holy Spirit is your great comfort. 
He lives inside of you and He is sanctifying you. Pray and ask the Spirit to grant you peace where you do not have it. Rely on those who are all around you that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look to, look to friends and, and the faith family. Look to other brothers and sisters to begin to walk with you and help you to overcome this fear. Because as believers, dear friends, Jesus has come into this life and given us the result that we no longer have to fear dying. But that is not all that Jesus brought. Notice with me in verse 31 and 32 that Simeon now prophesies of the great effect that Jesus will bring to the world. A global salvation. Notice he says, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light of revelation to the Gentile and the glory of your people Israel. Understand that when he says a light of revelation to the Gentile, this would have been very repulsive to the Jew in their day. This is not something the, faith, the faithful remnant would probably want to say out loud if they didn't want to suffer and, and, and feel some rebuke from their Jewish uh, uh, family, friends, and, and things like that. <clears throat> what Simeon is prophesying and declaring is, is that the Gentiles would experience salvation and this shouldn't have been very surprising for the jew because we know that throughout the old testament there were gentiles who came into the faith who were converted who who come to saving faith we know that in isaiah and ezekiel and other places that that these prophets would prophesy that that the that that this that this salvation would go past israel but the jew had in their mind that because they were the chosen people of god that everyone else was lesser they had in their mind, dear friend, that the one that because the Gentiles had oppressed them and the Gentiles had, had, had done wrong to them, that they were unforgivable. They had in their mind that when Jesus Christ came back, that when the Messiah would come, he would set up his kingdom. And therefore, they themselves would then turn around and they would do the very thing the Gentiles had done to them, put them into subjugation. It was repulsive. Are you telling me that the one who has hurt me, the one who has sinned against me, will become like me, become a a brother and sister of the same faith? And that not only that, I must forgive them and live with them with joy and happiness? Absolutely. This salvation would not only also go into Israel, but I mean into the Gentiles, but notice he even says, it is the glory of Israel, which is really interesting because if you remember earlier, we talked about this, that Ezekiel tells us the glory of God had departed Israel because of their sin, because of their disobedience. But Christ has come, and the glory of Israel is not their past. You see, some of you boast in your past. Some of you look back and you think that the glory days of FBC was what we did back in those days. Dear friend, did you forget that the Jesus Christ of those days is the same Jesus Christ today? Hello, lights. I'm going to copyright that, by the way, Trey. Or you can copyright and I'll borrow it. Did you forget that? The Jesus of yesterday is the Jesus of today. The glory days, dear friends, was Jesus Christ. And the glory days today is Jesus Christ. And the glory of the future is Jesus Christ. And that's what Israel did. They looked back and they said, look at how awesome we were. 
They looked at their laws and their traditions. They looked at, they looked at all of their, their priests and their offices. And they looked at all of these things. And they thought this was the glory. Until finally the glory departed them. But he returns here. In the person of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And notice what he says. To the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. Let me see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus has brought salvation, has brought light and glory to us. And it is the light and the glory of all who would come to know him. He has brought it across the globe. He has brought it to the Jew and he has brought it to the Gentile. He has brought it to men and he has brought it to women. He has brought it to the black and the white and the tan and the twain. He has brought it to all. He has brought it to the poor and to the rich. He has brought it to the free and to the slave. Does this mean that everyone will come to know Jesus as Savior? That everyone will be saved? Absolutely not. That is the false doctrine of universalism. But what it does mean is, is that when we talk about Jesus coming into the world, and that the salvation of the world, it means that every tongue, every tribe, every people group can come to know Jesus Christ, not just my people. This is the foreshadowing of the Great Commission. This is, this is the fulfillment of the covenant promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all nations. That This is Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. That after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You know what this is? This means that that those people in that country that I can't stand will be some of them will be standing with me around the throne of God. That's a surprise to some of us, isn't it? Do you know what this means? This means that neighbor of mine who, who, who is who, who is constantly being a nuisance to me that I despise may be standing with you in white robes and palm branches and singing praises to God in heaven. D- dear friends, we rejoice that the salvation of Christ is global. Not only, dear friends, do we rejoice that it is, we, we rejoice that it is global because it came to you and it came to me. Because it didn't start here in Jonesboro, Louisiana. And it's not to finish here in Jonesboro, Louisiana. It is to go into all of the world. And so we rejoice that God would see fit, that the gospel of his, that his gospel, his son, his salvation would come to us. And we rejoice to know that there is hope for all of the nations. They don't have to remain in darkness. There is hope for this nation. It doesn't have to remain in darkness. For there is a child who was born who gave his life that we may know him. Dear friends, we pray for the nations. We don't just also rejoice. In the we pray for the nations. We pray for China. We pray for North Korea. We pray for I. We pray for America. We pray for all of the nations to know Christ. We pray for those people at, across the road, down the road, in the other states, in the blue states, in the red states. 
because we know and we want to know we want them to be with us on that day where we stand around the throne of God. Is this not the core value, FBC? Is this not one of our core values to be a gospel witness? Listen, all believers have the responsibility at FBC to be witnesses of the saving power of Jesus Christ. We expect that our members will seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to Jonesboro as well as to our parish, our state, our country, and even to the furthest parts of the world. Do you value that? You should. Because this is the effect of knowing Jesus as your Savior. This was the surprising effect of Christ. That when he came into the world, he would take enemies of one another. People who had been enemies all their life and make them brothers. Bring them into the same family. Church member, are you proclaiming the light and the glory of the gospel to the lost and dying world? Or are you looking at the, other, the lost and dying world and going, they don't deserve it. Because you don't know what they did to me. How about the lost and the dying world here in Jonesboro? Are you seeking to evangelize? Are you, are you seeking, intentionally working to, for people to know Christ? That they may know the salvation that you have experienced. But they don't deserve it. Neither did us. Neither did we. FBC, who are we reaching for Jesus past Jonesboro? Who are we reaching past our parish and past our state and past our own continent? I encourage you, dear friends, that salvation has been made possible. And the responsibility is placed upon our shoulders to be a gospel witness. And need I remind you that the very compassion that you are about to experience through the gospel of Luke is to be your compassion as well. Because the compassion of Christ for a world of undeserving sinners is a major theme throughout this gospel. Not compassion for just the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Not compassion for just the rich, but also the poor. Not compassion for those who are like me and look like me and act like me and have the same thinking and opinions that I have, but those who are completely opposite of you in those areas. One has to wonder at the reaction of the Jews in the temple that when Simeon said these words. But dear friend, is it your reaction? Is your reaction the same? When you are told that Jesus Christ can save the very people or person that you despise the most, may God help us if that is truly our reaction. Because instead, the surprising effect of Christ is that when I think of those people, I think and pray and hope that on the day that I am standing around the throne of God, I will see them in the same robes, singing the same songs that I am singing to Christ. Pray and seek, dear friend, ways to evangelize even the ones that are hard. And ask that God would change your heart if you have not been affected with a global desire for global salvation.
But the third effect that I need you to see is this painful division. Look at, look at verse 33. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And, and Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. And the sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from your hearts may be revealed. This is interesting because this is actually the very first negative thing we've read. The proclamation of the angels, Zechariah, Mary, Elizabeth, the, the, the shepherds. This is the first negative proclamation that we have gotten. We've been told about the mercy of Jesus. We've been told about the forgiveness and the salvation to people. We, we've been told that evil rulers will be humbled and the, and the poor and lowly slaves will be lifted up. All of these things which have come about throughout history. Yet Simeon now tells us that Jesus will not only be destined to be opposed, a sign of opposed means continually opposed. It's in present tense form, but he will also intentionally bring about the opposition. Jesus will intentionally bring about division. You see, we tend to forget this. We tend to forget that he came bearing a sword, that he, may, that he may divide the sheep and the goats, that he may divide father and son, mother and daughter at times. Notice the word. It, means, it says appointed. It means that it is set. It means that, that this is God's will. It is, it is the intention of placing Jesus in the world, the placing Jesus in Israel and in other places, the preaching of Jesus, to cause people to fall and perish or for them to rise and live. And we see this in First in Peter chapter 2. L- listen, to, listen to this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Notice what he says. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, he quotes, the stone which the builders rejected. You heard of that? The stone the rebuilders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For, the t- for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to, this, and to this doom, they were also appointed. Notice again that word appointed. It is set. So, so when men and women come face to face with Jesus, there's going to be a division. I know you, we, we keep hearing it. We've got to be unified. We, there's got to be unity. We, we, we all have to get along with another. Friends, it ain't going to happen. It is the will of God to create a division between his people and the world. Between the believer and the unbeliever. And so he tells us that there's a division that Jesus is going to bring between men and women who reject the grace of God in unbelief and between those who do not reject but stand upon the rock as their only hope of salvation. Mark 16, 16 says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Notice that he says, notice where he says at the very end in verse 35, he says, The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This actually explains the opposition that he'll get and the division that will come place, that will come forward. For when Jesus comes in contact with people, and not just Jesus, but the preaching of the gospel, when it comes in, when people come in contact, it, he will produce and reveal certain thoughts of, of, of a decisive nature. In other words, whether they are thoughts of unbelief 
because men reject Jesus and love darkness, or it'll be thoughts of faith because men and women have rejected darkness and trusted in truth and come to the light. We see this with the Pharisees. They, they're religious, but inside they're murderers. And it comes out, doesn't it? Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, Christ revealed, Christ's death revealed the thoughts of many hearts. It revealed the thought in the hearts of Pilate that he loved popularity better than truth. It revealed the thoughts of, of the heart of Judas, for he loved gold better than he loved his master. It revealed the thought in the heart of Caiaphas that he would keep old customs rather than, uh, to the, than be to the right customs. It revealed the thought in the hearts of the disciples, and it showed what a poor, timid, trembling heart they all had. Peter's impulsive spirit, too, was revealed for all of its weaknesses by the death of the Savior. The cross is the great touchstone. Whether it comes, it will test, and it will try you. You see, if you see, when you and I come in contact with Christ, you cannot remain neutral. The preaching of the Word of God, the preaching of Jesus, the preaching that we, that we do Sunday after Sunday is going to bring forth for all of us to see what is truly in your heart. Some of you just got scared, didn't you? It's, it, it should be. It's terrifying. Even myself. Is this terrifying? You will be revealed for what is truly inside of you. The world will know, and Jesus will affirm, that you are either a friend or an enemy of God. You are either a believer or you're not. You are either actively obeying and actively disobeying you cannot be neutral. You cannot hide the truth of what is inside of you when the light of Christ is being shown through the preaching of God's Word week in and week out. He will expose what is truly there, and this happens by His intent. That when the, that when the Word is preached and the Gospel is taught faithfully, in the local church, the weeds will be seen for what they are, and we will know one another's true self. We will know your apathy. You will portray yourself as being gung-ho for God, but we will know your apathy. You will portray yourself as one who, who is calm, cool, and collected, but we will know your anger. You will, portray, you will portray yourself to be one who stands upon with great faith, but we will see your lack of faith. You will, be, you will proclaim yourself to be one that you are totally fine. You know, if you had nothing, it's just you, you and God. I don't need anything but God, but we will see your greed. And you'll talk about your love, but we'll see your racism and your hatred of mankind. You'll talk about your love and your forgiveness, but we'll see your unforgiveness. And you'll talk about how you know so much about Jesus, but we'll see your, your biblical ignorance, ignorance. And dear friends, those who talk about their belief in God will be shown their unbelief. This will lead to a painful division, so painful that it is like a sword into the heart of those who love you. Dear friends, we will either fall and rise on Christ. There is no neutral. You will either fall and perish. You will show yourself for what you truly are. And what happens is you will either leave the church never to return. You will leave Christ never to return. You may get mad and disrupt the ministry of Christ. You, you may lash out, whatever the case is. But we will see this will all be an affirmation of the judgment of God that is upon you. 
To those, I would say to you this morning that your only hope is that you would, that you would repent, that you may finally be able to rise and stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ. But to those who rise, those who live, you see, they have repented of their sin and they humbly follow Jesus. Their thoughts of love and faithfulness are affirmed, not perfection. They're not perfect people. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to mess up. But they will stand upon the rock of God. Dear friend, may I ask you this morning, what has God revealed in your heart? What has God shown you? Because this is the surprising effect of Jesus Christ. You will, f- look, you will look yourself in the mirror and you will truly begin to see what is truly there. Do you love Christ? Do you glory in the cross of Christ? Do you glory in the word of Christ? If so, you have risen and you stand upon the rock. And my prayer for you is that you would remain, that you would stand, continually stand and not leave this position for anything else. No matter how firm the other things of this world may be, they will never hold you. Labor in prayer and in study that your legs may be strengthened that they never give. Or maybe this morning you have seen that yourself seeing yourself in the mirror for who you truly are, and you recognize that you despise the cross of Calvary, you despise the preaching of God's word, and you stand upon your own righteousness. Dear friend, you have depended on everything else but Jesus this morning, the child in the arms of Simeon. If this is you, then hear the prophetic word of Simeon. You will fall, and you will perish. This will happen unless you repent and come to Christ and seek salvation in Him and Him alone. There is no neutral. You must come to this Christ. And so therefore, dear friends, I would call upon the rest of us that if God has brought sin to light in your life, seek the forgiveness of Christ. And dear friends, for those who stand upon the rock of Jesus, who have risen and stand firmly on his rock, look around to those who have fallen and pray and pray and pray and call and call and call them to Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading and the preaching of the word this morning.